How many of you ever experienced um, rejection? <laughs> Matt's raising his hand. Proud. <laughs> so funny. When I was, it, this happened a few years ago. This was it was kind of an awkward situation. But I was, uh, I was in a restaurant, and I was waiting on my wife to show up. We were coming from different places, and we were going to meet. And it was really crowded, and it was, it was a pretty nice restaurant with a big lobby area outside the eating dining room. And so I'm there, and um, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm waiting on my wife, and I'm all the way kind of on the other side away from the door, and I'm just watching. And this woman walks in. I had no idea who she was, but you can see her scanning the crowd, and she immediately looks at me. And I have no idea if she was attractive or not. I don't notice such things. Okay, I don't know, but <laughs> but she but she was but she was looking at me and and I was like and so she like she waves you know and I'm like I wave back and everything. she's like walking towards me but it's really crowded and she gets about halfway across the lobby and all of a sudden she can't move anymore because it's just so crowded and everything and so she starts waving at me to come over and I'm like. And I'm, I'm doing the, you know, the international sign for who, who, me? Who, me? It was about that moment, someone put their hand on my shoulder and said, Honey, I'll be there in a second, but this guy won't get out of my way. <laughs> it felt really good. <laughs> I've, I've experienced other forms of rejection. When I was a kid, I tried my hand at Little League Baseball. Now, I love baseball, but I'm terrible at playing it. Okay, I was, I was awful. It basically, and, and part of the problem was I was scared of the ball, which means I wasn't good at hitting or fielding. <laughs> kind of important in baseball to be good at at least one of those things. I was really bad at it. And so I remember the coach used to, um, would play me in right field, which is where in Little League the, the fewest balls went out in right field. And the only reason I played there was because he couldn't play me on the other side of the fence in foul territory. And, uh, and he had, there was a rule they had to play me like, you know, four and a half innings. But I can remember, even as a kid, I can remember overhearing conversations, you know, like coaches referring to me as, you know, like the weakest link and things like that. I don't know what that meant. But, uh, but you know, rejection, replay the same scenario in soccer. I remember, well, I'll tell you this. The reason I was always scared of the ball in baseball is I remember one of the very first practices I ever went to, coach hits a pop-up to me, and I'm trying to, you know, catch it and everything. I've got it all lined up perfectly, and the ball comes down, goes right over the top of the glove, hits me in the head, and knocks me out cold. I got over it, but um, I was always scared of the ball after that. But then, but then playing soccer, I remember, you know, my first year playing soccer, they're trying to teach us all how to play and everything like that. My hand-eye coordination wasn't exactly there, and so there was one game I remember. We we had our team, our team was terrible. We hadn't won a game all year. We were like 0 and 8. Right, and we're playing, and man, we had a chance to beat the other bad team in the league. And I get up there, the ball is in front of me, empty net. Their goalie was picking flowers or something, and I, I had the perfect opportunity. I went, and you know what happened? I Charlie Browned it. I just, woof, landed on my back and just was laying there. The ball still in the same spot. I don't know how I did it. Weakest link. <laughs> Seems to be a theme in my life. Rejection, though, doesn't feel really good, though, does it? You know, some of you, some of you, I think, may have experienced some rejection. You know, we can laugh and joke about some things from childhood like that, but I have a feeling some of you have experienced some rejection in your life that's not funny at all. I don't mean to be a downer, but, but we have, and, and rejection doesn't feel good, and rejection hurts. 
Matthew chapter 7. It's where we're going to start today, and we're going to take a look at verses 13 through 23. We're going to kind of take a look at this part of Scripture, and what we're going to see is Jesus is kind of beginning to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. Next week's our last week in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. We'll finish it next week. But he's going into this final section, this conclusion. And what we see Jesus doing here is he is, he's kind of taking all the teachings that he's done and he's putting together the summary. And really at the end of the day what it boils down to is Jesus is saying this. I want you to hear everything I've said. And I want you to take to heart everything that I've presented to you in the last few minutes in this message. And I want you to apply it to your life. Why? Because I don't want you to experience the rejection of God. I can think of nothing that would be more scary and more fearful than knowing I had to face rejection by God Almighty. And Jesus is saying, I don't want any of you to experience that kind of rejection, but I need you to understand this. That rejection is real and it exists for those who reject his son. And so as we enter into this passage today, I want you to think about this statement that's up on the screen and I want us to think on this and reflect on it. There's a big difference between saying you're a Christ follower and being a Christ follower. There's a big difference between saying you're a Christ follower and being a Christ follower. You see, you know, in school we go and we learn and we hear from the teachers and we're supposed to, and they give us examinations periodically throughout the semester and at the end a big one. But we receive these examinations to see if we can uh, apply and regurgitate what we've learned during that semester. And I think what's happening here is Jesus is saying, you've heard the things I've had to say to you. You guys have been gathering here for the last three months as we've been kind of going over the things Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's saying is, I need you before we end this today, our time together. I need you, I need you to conduct an examination. And here's the big question that I want to ask you is this. Are you willing are you willing, and I want you to be serious when you think about this, are you willing to conduct an honest examination of your life to determine the path upon which you're really traveling? Are you really willing? Because today, the words of Jesus in these 11 verses, they're scary. They're kind of frightening when you read them, at least for some. I believe these can be some of the most frightening and and, and scary verses in the entire Bible. But I also believe, I don't know why this microphone's doing that, sorry. But I also believe that they can be some of the most reassuring and encouraging words in all of the Bible. And so today, what I'm going to challenge you to do is I'm going to challenge you for a few minutes, no matter how long you've been going to church, no matter how many times you've heard these things, I want to challenge you to conduct an examination of your own life, an honest one, to determine the path on which you're traveling in your life. 
And as we do that, we're going to begin looking at Jesus and the words he says in these verses. Let's start with verses 13 and 14. Let's read those together and see where Jesus starts us off in this examination. He says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Today we're going to start with this. I think it's important that you and me, that you make a careful examination of the path you are taking. If you're following along in your bulletin and filling in the blanks, that's the first one right there. To make a careful examination of the path you are taking. What I think is important to take a look at is Jesus talks about how many will take this wide road that leads to destruction and only a few will take this narrow road that leads to life. What does that mean? What is this road? What is this path? Here's the first question I want to ask you in this exam. Which statement best describes you? Now, we're going to do this in each section today. Is we're going to kind of go through, and I'm going to give you some exam questions that you can take with you, that you can do an honest assessment in your own life. And here's the first question. Which statement best describes you? The first one says this. Completely, uh, are, are you a person that's completely ignorant about God, the Bible, and who Jesus is? And I'd say that you're here today. That probably doesn't describe you. Okay, here's the second one. B. A person who knows about God, the Bible, and Jesus, but they do not believe. That's probably not most of us. It's not impossible that there are some that that describes. But does that describe you today? Here's a third one, and this is an important one. They know these things. They believe, but they live in willful disobedience. Is it possible this one describes you? Let's look at the letter D. They know about these things, but they think that they can work hard enough or be good enough to convince God of their righteousness. In other words, you're looking at your relationship with God and your sinfulness on scales. And you think, well, I've got sin, so if I can weigh out the sin with enough good, I'll balance those scales and maybe I could tip them in my favor at some point. If that describes you, then that's, that's letter D, your answer. Here's letter E, the last one. They believe in God, the Bible, and Jesus and realize they can never be righteous in God's eyes. They can only experience eternity in heaven because of the grace of God through faith in Jesus, evidenced by their obedience to him as the Lord of their life. Now I want to tell you this. Go back, Glenda, to this previous slide where the other four options are. Based on everything Jesus had to say in the Sermon on the Mount, everything else we find in Scripture, these four are the wide road that lead to destruction. These are not what we've been called to do. And Jesus says there are many that are going to follow this path. Now the first two, we're probably not going to find a lot of them here in church. The third one I would say is a 50-50 proposition. That fourth one scares me. But when we look at letter E, this one, a belief and a dependence on the grace of God, that's the narrow road Jesus was talking about. Knowing that I can't save myself, 
I could never be righteous enough or good enough to outweigh the sin in my life. I could never erase it and make myself righteous. Look at what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says. It says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, when we look at these five statements and say, which one describes me best? Am I one of the, the first four that clearly falls under the, narr- the, the wide road that Jesus talked about? Or, or, or can, is it possible that I have finally discovered the last one, that narrow road that Jesus is describing here? I've got to ask you this question. Is there evidence of this faith that Ephesians chapter 2 talked about in your life? Is there evidence of it? Maybe another way to ask that question is, Jesus really the Lord of your life? And these are critically important questions to answer. I'm challenging you to take this first question and spend some time reflecting on it this week and praying about it. Am I on the wide road that leads to destruction? Or am I on the narrow road that leads to life? And I want you to make sure you don't make the mistake of assuming just because you've gone to church your whole life, you're on the path you need to be on. You see, I'm convinced that a lot of us don't conduct these self-examinations very often because either A, we already know the answer, or B, we're scared of what the answer will be, and we realize the changes it means. We realize the action that we'll have to take. We realize the choices that we'll have to make. See, here's a beautiful thing. As we look at these things that Jesus said, and they do seem kind of harsh sometimes when you read them, but when we look at them, we can come to a place where we can understand, and this is one thing I hope you understand today, is that you have a choice. You have a choice on what your answer can be to these questions. And you can leave here today, I'm convinced of this, you can leave here today knowing without a doubt whether or not you're on the narrow path or the wide path. There doesn't have to be any guessing or hoping. You can leave here today knowing it because it's all based on the way you choose to live, the way you choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Let's continue on in this passage and look over at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. This next section will bring us to our next exam question. Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The next examination question is about the fruit that you are producing in your life. 
the fruit you were producing. And I want to ask this next question as we talk about, okay, Jesus talks about ferocious wolves and false prophets and, and sheeps and wolf clothing. And so I want to take a look at this next question. Which one of these next few statements that are going to go up on the screen apply to you? Which statement describes you? A is this. A is have you rejected God? And again, I'll say this. This probably doesn't describe many of us, hopefully none. But have you rejected God? B says this. Claim God, but teach false doctrine. Let's talk about that for a second. Ferocious wolves, false prophets, teaching false doctrine. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm... I would never be in a position to teach or preach anyway. So, listen, I want you to be careful when you understand what Jesus was saying here. Are you one that takes away from or adds to Scripture to make it fit your life? Are you one that, that tends to kind of cherry-pick the things that sound good to you and kind of ignore the rest? Are you one that when you're taking Scripture and you hear something particularly harsh, you kind of shut down? When you hear something that kind of steps on your toes, you kind of walk away? You see, false doctrine is rejecting what we see in God's word as it is. I hope that doesn't describe many of us, but I know sometimes I think we're all guilty of that a little bit. Here's letter C. Claims God, but, but does damage in or to the church. Now, I think what happens sometimes is is we get to a place where I say, I'm a Christian, but I find that my presence in the church isn't uplifting and, and helpful. Sometimes it's, it tears people down. Sometimes it's based on gossip. Sometimes it's based on building disunity instead of unity. i got to ask you, are you a builder of the church? Or is your presence destructive? And I've got to tell you, there's no in the middle. Either you're doing one or the other. There's no option to just exist. Either you're part of the church and you're building his kingdom, or you're coming to church and you're not. It's time to make a careful examination of where I stand on this. Letter D says this, they claim God, but they show no evidence of good fruit in their life. Let's talk about this for a minute. Good fruit, bad fruit, what does that mean? You see, I think sometimes we get to a place where we think about good fruit and bad fruit in terms of the actions we take, right? We talk about, well, if I'm someone who's doing good works and good acts in my life, then I'm producing good fruit. And if I'm, if I'm not, if I have bad things going on in my life, maybe that's bad fruit. To me, that just that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, though, when you think about it. Look at, look at this passage out of John 15, another place where Jesus talks about fruit. And he's talking to his disciples. He says this in John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As I read these words of Jesus, as I study what he said here and compare it to what he talked about with bearing good fruit and bad fruit, it's clear to me that Jesus is not talking about good works. Jesus is talking about the impact your life is having on the world around you. Are you producing fruit? Let me ask you a few questions to help you determine this. Are you making new disciples and leading people to Jesus? That's producing fruit. Do you make our church better and stronger by being here and being a part of it? That, that's producing good fruit. Do people feel encouraged and uplifted by you? That's producing good fruit. Do you have an attitude of service and a heart for truly loving people in your personal life and here in the church, especially people who are in great need? That's producing good fruit. Or, we can't talk about one without talking the other, talking about the other. Are you having a hard time thinking about anybody you've ever led to Christ? And if so, maybe it's been a really long time. There's no fruit. Are you generally negative about the church and the way you talk and the way you act? What kind of fruit is that? Do people feel drained and discouraged and dragged down because of negativity? What kind of fruit are you producing? Do you, do you serve to basically hold a pew down on Sunday in case we get a strong windstorm? Or are you serving and ministering to others, both in your personal life and here in this place? I'll be honest with you, those are some hard-hitting questions. But when I read the Sermon on the Mount, especially this ending, Jesus didn't hold back any punches. He, he said what he needed to say because, and I preach what I preach today, because these are some of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself. Am I producing fruit? Am I the disciple Jesus has called me to be? Because these answers have eternal consequences. And it isn't worth dancing around. Jesus didn't, and we can't pretend like these things aren't there and they aren't said. We can't pretend like the rejection of God is not a real thing. How are you doing? Are you producing good fruit or bad? You see, the scary thing is you can hide the fruit, the real fruit that you're producing in your life from most of us. But God knows your heart. And I believe that's why Jesus finishes this passage 
with these three verses in 7, 21 to 23. Read them with me. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Today we need to conduct a careful examination of the Lord we are following We must conduct a careful examination of the Lord we're following. And this question is this right here. The question I want to lead our exam into is this one. It'll come up in a second, I'm sure. I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. Who are the evildoers? Who are these evildoers that he's talking about? Who are the evildoers? And Jesus ends the statement, Away from me, you evildoers. Who's he talking about? It couldn't possibly be me or you, right? I don't know. I think I'm about to scare you. Let's look at A. What's the answer to A? People who, again, reject God, right? They're obviously evildoers, correct? Okay, let's look at B. People who claim God but live in willful disobedience to his word. We're still all on board, right? It's all good, right? Evildoers. C. People who follow God but still mess up and have sin in their life. Ooh. I think the right answer to this question is D. Here's the fact. I'm an evildoer. And so are you. Is that a surprise to you? Is that a shock? I'm sorry. I came to church to be called an evildoer. You're, you're an evildoer and so am I. Look, Jesus, Jesus made it clear that we're all evildoers and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Paul says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Here's the thing. The question today isn't whether or not we are evildoers. We all are. The real question is this. Whether or not Jesus knows you because you've made him the Lord of your life. The question, I'll say it again, is not whether or not you're an evildoer. You are. The question is whether the Lord Jesus is going to know you on the day you stand before him because you have proclaimed him to be the Lord of your life. And not only proclaimed it, you've decided to live a life of obedience to him. You have decided that you have no hope of earning your own ticket into heaven. You have decided that following Jesus and obeying his will is the only way. You have decided that you want to produce good fruit in your life through your obedience to him. Notice the key word I keep the key phrase I keep using in this you have decided. You have a choice. You get to choose. I said it before, I can't imagine a worse fate, a worse outcome than to stand before Jesus one day and to have him reject me, not just because I was an evildoer, 
but because I was an evildoer who never really got it. Because I was an evildoer that thought that going to church once a week and holding down a pew would earn me some points with God Almighty. An evildoer that thought doing a few good deeds might outweigh all my sin. An evildoer who attended church but never really did anything to build the church. That is the worst kind of rejection. That is the only kind of rejection that I fear in my life. But I have a choice. And so do you. Starting today, starting right this moment, I can become an evildoer covered by the grace of God. I can leave here today assured that no matter how much sin I have on my list, I will not be rejected by my God. I can rest assured that starting today, starting right now, I can begin to produce fruit in my life that shows I'm an obedient child of God and I want to make a difference in the world around me and in my church as a kingdom builder. I know that I can start right this minute, even if up to this moment, maybe I've been going to church my entire life or maybe this is all fairly new to me, but I know I've not been producing fruit for his kingdom. I know I can't point to and say I've led people to Christ. I've shown his light and his glory to them and I've been a salt of the earth and I've been obedient to all these other things we've been talking about for the last three months that Jesus outlined in the Sermon on the Mount. I know that I haven't got all that mastered. None of us do. But I know I'm covered by the grace of God. And I know starting this moment, I can, I can begin producing the fruit that I am called to produce. I know that people around me can begin recognizing that I am his child because of the fruit I'm producing. Not the good works, but the impact of a kingdom builder. The impact of showing people the way to him. The impact of obeying the greatest commandment of loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And the second one, of loving my neighbor as myself. And when I start doing those things, when I start having those pieces appear in my life, and I begin producing the fruit that he's called me to produce, then I know I can walk away assured that when I stand before him on that day, whether it's today or many years from now, I will not have to face the rejection of God Almighty. But I know and am assured that I will hear him welcome me with open arms, well done, good and faithful servant. Careful examination is difficult, it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And I want you to hear this because I believe this is one of the messages Jesus was sending to the disciples of his day and the Pharisees that were also listening. Churches are full of comfortable people who claim to follow Jesus without any real evidence 
to support the claim. And I know that sounds like a harsh statement, but Jesus made it clear that the rejection of God is a real thing for those who reject his son. And today you can make a choice to continue living as if just showing up at church and going through the religious motions of Christianity is all that's necessary, but know that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and his disciples all at the same time, saying, many of you think you're on the right path and you're not. Only a few find that narrow road and really understand what it means to embrace the grace of God because you can't do it on your own. And it all comes down to this point. Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Is he really the one that guides you in the way you make decisions and the actions you take and the life you live each and every day? Or are you still the Lord of your life? Hoping that your actions, your good, will outweigh your bad. Today, I want to close with an invitation time. We're going to sing a song. And I can't plead with you more strenuously than to say, take this examination Apply it to your life. Be honest with yourself about the path on which you are walking. Because you will never make a more important decision than the one that says, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I need Jesus as the Lord of my life. Don't leave here today if that's a decision you need to make. I would love to sit with you after the service and have a conversation if that's on your heart and mind. If you'd like to come forward and pray, one of our prayer partners will meet you up here during the invitation. If you'd like to talk to someone about what it means to give your life to Christ and be obedient to him, we'd love to start that conversation with you. If you'd like to talk about what it means to be a part of this church and a kingdom builder and to say, I want to join this church family and I want to build the kingdom with you guys, come up front with us during the song and talk to us or find me after the service and we can talk. But this invitation is not just a closing song. It's an opportunity for you to respond to what you've heard. Don't leave here today until you have. Next week, we're going to close with uh, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the way Jesus sums this up. I mean, he is Jesus after all. He did it right. And in a couple weeks... Two weeks from now, I'll just go ahead and give you a little bit of a preview. We're going we're gonna to talk about baptism a little bit and what we teach about baptism and the role baptism plays in the plan of salvation. And after that, on the 13th, we're going to start our series, God's at War, book by Kyle Eidelman. It's going to be a five-week series. We're going to be doing it during our life groups and everything. So... Just go ahead and give you a heads up. If you want to read the book, you can go find it at Lifeway or wherever and read it. Uh, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, it's a good read. It's not hard. You can read it quickly, but I uh, just want to throw those things at you starting September 13th. And 
But today, we're going to pray, and you're going to have a chance to respond to what you've heard. Let's do that. Father, thank you so much for, for letting us come into your presence to, to worship the way we do and to, to lift you up and, and to gather around your throne and, and to offer you the praise and worship you deserve. But God, even more than that, as we look into your word and, and allow you to speak to our hearts, God, I pray that today a careful an intentional examination can take place in, in each of our hearts. This is heavy and this is hard to stop and think about sometimes. It's, it doesn't feel light and, and easy and it, maybe even not encouraging, but God, it's something we need to know. It's something we need to think about. And God, I pray that you'll convict us about the path upon which we are walking so that we can turn and we can face you. God, we call on you to move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.